stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning. We're dealing with uh, the book of Ephesians. And as you know, the book of Ephesians is an old book. By the time Paul finished Ephesians, uh, the disciples then started writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So uh, Paul was already dead. And uh, the most interesting thing about this book is how he deals with us and in the language he uses. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. It says, For you were sometimes darkness. Not all the time. Sometimes. But now are ye light in the Lord. That's a big change. Walk as children of light. Walk simply means try to live it in that concept in your life. I'm not saying that you're going to be light 100%. I'm saying that if you decide to be light, you've got to practice it. You've got to deal with it. All of us have circumstances in life that do not allow us to be light all the time. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Meaning, growth continues to grow when you begin to bring the Lord to sort of uh, check you out. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And this is not talking about sexual here. This is talking about uh, abortion. This is talking about uh, killing. This is talking about rebelliousness, worshiping other gods. Just heavy stuff. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Because most work of darkness is in the dark. See, the idea of being in the dark simply means that what you do spiritually in terms of your life is in the light. But when you get in the dark, it means there's no direction, no purpose, no revelation. Nothing in your life speaks light, speaks life into you. He says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So he brings this into life and death. Notice this. And then I'll come to uh, verse 15. Now, verse 15, it's an interesting verse, and I want to just uh, comment on, on this verse a little bit before we move on to verse 16. And uh, it says this, See then, see then, it's a, it's a verb that is simply saying, after you prove what God loves and wants to do in your life, then... The next thing that you do is that see then that ye walk circumspectly. And walk carefully. Watch out. Take a look. Not as people, as fools, but as wise. And, and, and that idea is really a very interesting idea. Circumspectly it means make sure that you know what's down the pipe. You know, discerner the Holy Spirit will tell you there's a problem down here. There's a situation down here. There's a big old grenade to explode down here. So just, just step the other way. That's what it means, walk circumspectly, not as fools. And then he uses the word redeem the time. Now the word redeem the time simply means make sure that you do 
good on the clock. Now let's say you uh, work for this ministry. And you are then uh, someone that uh, deals with time. During the day, you begin to walk circumspectively, trying to figure out what God has for you to do in front of you. Now, people ask me, Rick, why you survived so long as an evangelist? You know, it's, it's been 55 years that I've been doing this. And it's not that I'm a, a sinless. I am a sinner, and, I, and I, my sins are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not that I am good-looking. Of course, uh, you know that. Uh, it's not that, uh, <laughs> that uh, I am uh, 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 from Brazil. Is that I know how to work for the Lord. And when I'm in His time, I just give Him every single moment of the day. So, walk circumspectly means redeem the time. Don't waste your time on yourself. Give it unto the Lord. It's a mark of wisdom. Only a fool drifts with the wind and tide. You know, a wise man sets the course. I want to go from point A to point B. He sets the sail. He guides the rudder until he reaches his destination. You have to be against the wind in order to get there. And you have to just get out of the path and come up and come back again. But you know, you've got to go, you gotta go from here to here. okay? And you have to just a little bit this way, but you get there. Instead of going. And you end up way down there. And the Lord is simply saying, you know, you... <laughs> You didn't plan this properly. Redeeming the time simply means plan, plan properly. He draws his plans so he knows what he's doing. Amen? Now, how many Christians plan their day and use the opportunities wisely? You know, yesterday I came to the office and I'm just waiting on somebody else and I spent time with that somebody else and then I just waited and I had to make a call and then a call came in. And if I just begin to to just be connected. And then I spend about an hour in prayer during the afternoon. And, uh, and suddenly, bang, something began to happen. We cannot know what a day may bring forth. James 4, 13 to 17. But it's also true that a planned life can better deal with unexpected events. Someone said, when a pilot does not know what port he is in, he is headed for, no wind is the right wind. And I believe that. No wind is the right wind because you just don't have direction. You have, people say, but Rick, you know, you have to wait upon the Lord, you know. Wait upon the Lord to get this done. And, uh, and, uh, he will, and, and stay there. No, not really. Not really. It, it's not wait upon the, that. You have the responsibility to uh, organize your life. Buying up the opportunity. Opportunity has a forelock so you can seize it when you meet it. Once it's passed, you cannot seize it again. The, the word English for, the English word for opportunity comes from the Latin word that means toward the port. Opportunity is toward the port. It suggests a ship taking advantage of the wind and tide to arrive safely in the harbor. Look, life is real short. And uh, it is a strong argument for making the best use of the opportunities God has given you. When you decide to put your life into the minimal opportunity, 
and do the minimum because you're just tired and worn out and you want to just rest from God, you are setting your life to a disaster because God requires you to give 100%, 100% of the time so you can serve Him. Look at the word says, uh, uh, the days are evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, in Paul's time, this meant that the Roman persecution was on the way. It was horrible. First Peter 4.12 talks about that. How foolish to waste opportunities to win the lost when soon those opportunities might be taken away by, by advances of sin in society. If the days were evil when Paul wrote this letter, what must be their condition today? Number Verse 16, Wherefore ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You have to know what the will of God is. So, so let's say you're going from one port to the other. You need to know what the will of God is. And, and I tell you, let me tell you an interesting story. I know a young lady who told me that uh, she is going to uh, go after this man of God in order to marry him. But the revelation for this man, for her to go to this man of God and this young unmarried man of God was given to her by somebody else. And so personal prophecy caused her to go after this man when in fact it was nothing to do with God. And so you need to know what the will of the Lord is not through somebody else. When somebody else dictates the direction in your life you are following a false prophet. God gives direction. You know, I'll tell you a, an interesting story. I had a friend of mine who was a very gifted preacher, a gifted, a silver-tongued evangelist, gifted. And he decided uh, to leave uh, 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 his place in the church. And I had to make my decision. And of course, you know, he told me, you, you, you're not going to make, there's nothing here that you can do on this, and uh, you, you better just come along and go somewhere else, because there's nothing here for you. Well, I, I decided to seek the Lord, and the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, to myself, to my heart, to stay. It's been almost 40 years ago, and I've survived. Now, you'll probably say, Rick, what do you mean by that? It means that the budget is paid every Friday. It means that I have direction from the Lord to do every single day. It means that God gave me the best people to take care of me, to assist me, to help me, to empower me, to renew me, to do the service of the Lord. In other words, I'm not in this ministry because somebody wants me to. I'm in this ministry because God wants me to, and I know He wants me to. So God has given us a mind to make a decision. Understanding suggests using our minds to discover the will of God. You've got to discover the will of God through your brain. Oh, God's going to show it to me. I have an angel coming in, and he'll speak, in the, and he'll say, Oh, Ricardo, here's what you have. No, 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 no. I want to hear right from here. Too many Christians have the idea that discovering God's will is a mystical experience that rules out clear thinking. But this idea is wrong and dangerous. God gave you a brain. Use it. Hear God. We discover the will of God as He transforms 
the mind. Romans 12. And this transformation is the result of the Word of God. Prayer, meditation, worship. If God gave you a mind, then He expects you to use the mind. This means that learning His will involves gathering facts, examining them, waiting them, talking about, praying for them. James 1.5 Ask for wisdom and He will give it to you. So God does not want us simply to know His will. He wants us to understand it, comprehend it. And as you comprehend the will of God, you know, if you ask me how many times I've been invited to be a pastor of a local church, I don't know how many times. You know, in Brazil, every trip I have an invitation to come and be the entering, entering evangelist and stay there a year or two years evangelizing. Well, I, I just I have not heard that from the Lord at all. And I, you know, I, I have my own ministry and my my friends and people that support me to do this. And, uh, and uh, I understand His will. I'm more effective if I have no direction. God can use me because I'm standing in His attention waiting for Him to call the shots every single moment. Amen? Now, let's take a look at something else. Number six, and be drunk with wine. And be not drunk with wine. Where is he in excess? But be filled with the Spirit, drunk with wine. The verb be filled with the Spirit is a present tense imperative, commanding a continuous infilling rather than a single, as it were, crisis experience. So it's a daily thing. You know, fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. Remember that song? In other words, you, you want to be filled every single day. Every time I get into prayer early in the morning, I'm filling my cup. And I'm filling to a point to where I'm so full of it that I have to walk. Too much energy. So the image is of a believer being filled to the brim. You know, my coffee machine has, has a button that if I hit that button, you know, not going this way to little cup, but this way to the big cup, and, uh, and, uh, and when I go to the big cup, you know, it, it, and I put a little milk in there, I can just have the brim. So I have to kneel down the floor, bring the cup to the edge of the counter, and just, so I don't make a mess. I don't make a mess. Now that's what I want. I want to be filled to the brim with the presence and the power of the Godhead. I want to be filled. I, I, our having been sealed with the Spirit is another concept. Results in our being filled with the Spirit. You're sealed when you're filled. It is the Spirit who gives the strength to say no to a temptation of the flesh. And you're going to be tempted. Tempting is not a sin, but it's a pain in the neck. So, it is the Spirit who gives the strength to say no to temptation or of the flesh. The vices in this age to live a Christian life. I'm not saying that I'm winning over every temptation. You know, uh, I can tell you something. Uh, I have two steaks in my refrigerator. Okay? And they're biggie, 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 biggie. They're big ones. And I know that uh, a steak for me is not a proper thing to have. You know, I'm just uh, like 50 years old right now. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> 
And, uh, well, I have the strength of a 50-year-old, okay? I got more strength in me than, than, than three horses and five 15,000 bulls. I have strength of the Lord in me. I'm a strong man inside. And I'll be strong until 95. Hallelujah. And so, so when you deal with temptation, you have to win the moment. You have to win the opportunity. You have to win the time. It's something that you have to do it every single day. Let's go to the next, will you? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's, that's, a, that's Paul. That's what Paul is saying to them. Listen, guys. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Now, in corporate worship, God's people are speaking to one another with psalms. Hymns and songs from the Spirit. Paul is falling up on what he had also stated in Colossians. Christians calling them to teach and admonish each other with all wisdom and psalms and hymns and songs in the Spirit. When I grew up in the church, especially in the early 70s, the only song we could sing that would really make any sense whatsoever was Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, Kumbaya, my Lord. And you know, after a while, I just began to get so, to, I couldn't sing it anymore. So I began to sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And I tell you, the only song I knew. And then I heard somebody singing another song. So I come from the 70s when there was no, no Christian music, no radio stations, no Christian artists singing. I had to do my own. In Brazil, I used to sing. Alecrim, alecrim dourado que saiu do campo sem ser semeado. Oh, meu amor. I mean, I just, oh. <laughs> I did anything I could because my spirit hunger for something. So, Colossians 3.16 talk about this. Hymns in the early church were used to teach theology to believers. The lyrics were chosen not for their artistic value, but for their truth and depth and content. So that's the emphasis here. While many people think the terms are here are synonyms and together refers to singing hymns, most people that study this scripture... Uh, 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 refer to situations where you're singing in the Spirit. You don't know what you're singing, but you're singing in the Spirit. For instance, Sina, you know, the, the singer from Nigeria, you know, and uh, uh, ha, ha, she goes, ha, 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 ha. What simply means her spirit is doing the ha. And then she's saying, She's singing her song. How does her song goes? Yeah. Waymaker, coworker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Now, now, he, ha, 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 she sings in the spirit realm. Nothing wrong with that. I prefer a song in the spirit than a song in pride. Now, the term psalms refer from the books of the psalms. And refer to formal 
praise songs built in the Old Testament. So there you have it. You have singing in the Spirit, hymns to bring theology, psalms is Old Testament. Hymns have been less formal and sung in a service. So there's a guy from Ephesus. He picks up a little instrument with five strings, four strings, and he sings, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. And the congregation began responding, and they're all singing in the Spirit. And so, the, the first two designations, hymns and psalms, are, are very similar to that of the, of the spiritual songs, which the Greek word here is pneumatikos, songs of the Spirit. It's spontaneous. It's charismatic singing that comes out of the leading of the Spirit. Some believe that spiritual changes all the elements and emphasizes the church worship as Holy Spirit-led. And so, if you're going to church and you've never done this before, you've got to try it. You know, just get up and sing a little bit and raise your hands and do a little jig. In our conference, there's a lady. Her name is uh, 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 from, from Brunswick, Georgia, Mary Blanche Rice. And Mary Blanche, she just puts a little mantle on her head. And she goes, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I praise you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. Now, I tell you, her husband came to me, Bob, and said, could you ask her not to do this in public? I said, Bob, you you don't want me to go tell Mary Blanche to stop praising the Lord, do you? And, of course, the day that... uh, Bob passed away. He is up in bed going, Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In other words, Paul's purpose in, in this three specific kind of early worship songs uh, is, is trying to st- stress the variety and spirit-infused power of early worship. So you have, you have hymns, you have Psalms, and you have singing in the Spirit. Hymns were theological. Psalms is Old Testament. Singing in the Spirit was impromptu. I mean, you don't practice. You just start singing. Okay, You just start referring. So these are the three areas that, that I want to share with you uh, uh, on how to do. And then uh, it closes up with uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 20, 21 giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks. It's all over Paul's writing. He loves to give thanks. 24 of the 38 New Testament occurrences uh, appears in Paul's writings. He repeated in the, Old, in the New Testament there are 38 times saying give thanks. Twenty-four of them happen in Paul's writings. He mentions thanksgiving twice in Ephesians, three times in Colossians. Paul's thanksgiving was to be a regular fixture of Christian life, infusing every experience, both good and bad, and becoming a continuous focus. Second Corinthians 
1.11, Colossians 3.17, Ephesians 5.20. Give thanks. Of course, you know, I like to begin praying in the morning by, Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. I'll thank you for this beautiful place. And, of course, I, 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 I live in a golf course. And now and then, the little cars begin with the lights. You know, it's 5, 4 in the morning, and the lights come in from the darkness. They're trying to clean the golf course. And, and you hear the noise of the engines, you know. And, and, uh, and then I look to the skies full of stars. And I, it's just impossible not to say, God, I want to thank you, Lord, for blessing my life. I thank you for today, God. I thank you for watching over me, Lord. God, I thank you for building my spirit. See, I mean, I'm in the mood of thank you more than anything else. Why? Because He's been blessed. He's been good to me. If God's been good to you, give thanks. So, oh God, thank you. In Portuguese, the word is obrigado. If you do, obrigado, Senhor, Lord. Obrigado, obrigado, Lord. Thank you. Muito obrigado. Muito means muito, much, much blessed. And so, muito obrigado. Amen. Now, we come to the final minutes of our Bible study today. I hope uh, you're not bored to death. Amen. I hope that you're paying attention. And so, <laughs> so here he is. The verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, submitting here is an interesting verse. It's hypotasomai. It's voluntarily placing oneself under the authority of another person or entity, such as the government, the church. Now, it can be a preacher. In other words, as an evangelist, I have a lot of people who come for me to pray for them, and they submit themselves to me. It happens also between husband and wives, uh, and, and of course we're going to deal with this this next week. So there is there is to be a reciprocal arrangement, whereby both are considered and live to meet the needs of the other. It's an interesting concept. In marriage and in ministry. Because you see, when you do not submit to the authority and the spiritual authority of someone that is blessing you, you miss a lot of things. You live a life that is rebellious. You don't hear God. You hear your brain. It's impossible to work with a ministry and not be intertwined into what God is doing on all of us. And so I can see rebelliousness at times in a worker. And it has to do because they want to disagree. They want to be right. When in fact what God is trying to do is for us to come in agreement. And so there's a distinct aura here both of authority and submission to that authority with no implications of inferiority or subjugation. There's no such a thing. Inferiority simply means you're big and I'm nothing, no, nobody else. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that as we begin to think about what God wants to do for us, we all come to submission to what God is showing all of us. It's how many times in this office, how many times in this ministry, we sit together and suddenly I say, John, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Uh, and John agrees. And suddenly, before too long, we're, we're doing it. So here, each member of the body of Christ, of her own will, accepts a subordinate role in relation to all the others. 
The result is a diminishing of hierarchical role. What is high hierarchical? Yes. And everybody, everybody, everybody down. You know, one of the things that made the ministry in Brazil grow, especially the church grow in Brazil, is that the missionaries from the states would be hierarchical. They would call all the shots. They wouldn't allow nobody to come to that point. And it became patriarchal. You know, and, and I'm from America. I am an a English-speaking uh, uh, Ph.D., and all of you are little Brazilians that never grow to the status of where I am. And I tell you, the Brazilian people begin to smell. And before too long, they kick all the missionaries out. And all of them, through global missions, went home. Why? It's because they assume themselves to be authority at every level. And that doesn't help. I want people to grow, to lead, just as I led, and do better than a job than I did. I mean, I want somebody to come in and take over this ministry and do better. And so, the result is a diminishing of hierarchical roles among the members of the community. Amen? Amen. Well, that's a wonderful thing that we did. I hope you enjoyed this Bible study. And the eight admonitions and commands of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5... Verses 21, uh, 8 through 21. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. There's more coming, okay? Bye-bye. Jesus